Hey guys, I'm Juliana, your automotive woman. Welcome to this special episode of Cars Without Sausage. Netflix just launched season six of their popular F1 docuseries, Drive to Survive. And I had the opportunity to connect with Eric Gilbert, CEO of Motorsport TV, Jake Sanson, motorsport commentator, and Eric Topokamandi, former F1 Canadian Grand Prix Marketing and Partnerships Director and current partner at the Motorsport Agency. Sit back and relax as we discuss Drive to Survive Season 6, its hits and misses, the inclusion of former Williams F1 team principal Claire Williams and former driver Danica Patrick, the authenticity or not so much of storylines, whether or not Drive to Survive still serves its purpose to opening F1 to a new audience, or has it transformed F1 into a soap opera made for TV? I hope you enjoyed this podcast and thank you for listening or watching on my YouTube channel. Netflix, Drive to Survive, season six. One word that best describes it. We'll start with you, Eric, in Montreal. Uh, I would describe it like a bit uh, redundant for me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's... Uh, you know, like uh, season after season, uh, seems to be the same same old pattern, uh, mm -hmm. which which is a successful pattern uh, for Netflix and from Noah. But uh, that 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 will be my word for uh, season six. Jake in the UK. One word to describe season six: evolution. I kind of feel that the last two seasons were very stylized and overtly over the top, uh, was not very well dramatized. I actually felt with season six, they have reverted a little bit to a little bit more meat on the bone, as it were. They have improved a little bit. Uh, it's still not quite my cup of tea, but then I don't think it's meant to be. It's not meant to be for the diehard, hardcore motorsport enthusiast. It's meant to be for the Netflix audience, which is fine. Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, having watched a majority of the sixth season, it has got back to what I feel it should be closer to. So I would say it's uh, an evolution uh, rather than absolutely dire. Yeah. Interesting. I'll, I'll circle back on that. And Eric Gilbert in Miami, thoughts? In one word? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I'm going to do it in two words. <laughs> Taylor Swift. For me, for, for me, Drive to Five is like Taylor Swift. Personally, I'm not a fan, but I'm a fan. You know, it's like, it's, it's very difficult to explain. I'm not a fan, like a diehard fan, but it's so prominent everywhere and fairly very successful so you cannot not be a fan of this you cannot you know ignore it you have to pay attention so for me it would be two words either taylor swift or pay attention and uh, yeah <laughs> so four words actually pay attention to taylor swift <laughs> for me it was just kind of meh but I will say that the Netflix essentially or box to box productions did a great job turning nothing into something because last season was all about Red Bull and they dominated it right so I liked seeing and hearing about some of those backstories about you know why the Alpine drivers actually hate each other and it goes back to go-karting and you know one person takes each other out on the last lap last corner that being Gasly taking out Ocon and then essentially Gasly being given a penalty and then the that being reversed so it 
you know, going back, we're probably like 15 years for those guys and they're still angry. I'm like, really? If I was angry at every guy that I carded with, still to this day, I, I definitely wouldn't have any friends in motorsport racing. <laughs> well, every, every, every competitor that you punched? <laughs> no, no, just one. Okay. That's a whole nother story, different topic, different topic. But, you know, there was a lot of changes this season too, right? So let's go back to the evolution that Jake was was speaking about, you know, they did do a good job again, you know, turning nothing into something, but they also introduced now Claire Williams. They brought in Dana Kapatrick. So do you guys think these were good changes? And what was your feedback to that? Yes, I, I do feel that uh, the inclusion of Claire Williams and Danica Patrick is important, uh, the, largely because of the roles that they played in the world of motorsport. I think it's not just about having, you know, journalists and, you know, sort of content makers on the show. I think it's important to have Claire Williams's contribution. A lot of people forget that over the decade she was in Formula One, you know, she did take the Williams team to third in the Constructors' Championship in two seasons. So, you know, she does have a very relevant role to play in the conversation, especially from someone who knows what it's like to get drivers on the podium and what it's like to finish in dead last. She's lived the whole experience as a team principal. So I think she can speak from authority. And no matter what people say about Danica Patrick, she can speak from the authority of somebody who has raced at the pinnacle of motorsport. She was in IndyCar for many years with one of the top teams. She led the Indy 500 she has won a race outright so whether she's an acquired taste or not uh, that's not really uh, what's uh, objectively you know at issue here what's at issue here is do they have relevance to add to the sport maybe not in Formula One directly but yeah I think Danica Patrick has something to say about what a racing driver feels the emotions they go through the sort of the attitudes they have to take uh, each season I thought what she brought to it was actually a, a real voice of authority and that's what's needed if we're going to strive for not just equality in motorsport but equity it's this word that i keep trying to push to people it's not just about finding equality in motorsport it's about equity and having people like claire and danica it does make a big difference to me hmm. yeah i agree with that like um i think well, first of all claire william is uh she's been raised in from lawn she was like she's she's been the uh, team principal but but she's also been like a you know the daughter uh cherished daughter of, of uh the founder of uh, william uh, uh, so, so she's been raised, so she has a lot to say about it. Uh, she, 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 uh, she was a witness of the evolution from Lawan. Uh, so, and uh, actually, she's 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 well spoken, like she well versed. Uh, so, she's very interesting to listen to. And uh, the the um, uh, Will Buxton is always like uh, very entertaining, and he he bring the the drama to another level, which is like probably his role in the, the series. So it's, he's, uh, he's, he's very good at, at doing this. And uh, Danica Patrick, uh, the fact also that she's been the more uh, uh, Sky F1 contributor, more on the regular basis in the last few seasons. Um, she's also witnessed like some of the backstage uh, drama or story that we see on the Drive to Survive. So, I think it also brings a, a lot of credibility to to all the the drama, backstage drama that they uh, basically uh, include in their series. So. Okay, Eric Gilbert, Miami. Yeah, I think former drivers and former team principal. I think it's one way that uh, drive to survive. I think keep can keep evolving. Like next season, they could bring 
even more different people who used to or are still relevant or were relevant. Uh, but I think what's important, whoever's going to have this role, like three or four per season or maybe more, I mean, there's no limit. It's going to have to be a little bit more. I, sometimes I feel this is a problem. Sometimes I see what drives to survive. It's very, very clean. Okay, you're going to see people saying the F word all the time, but this is fake. I mean, this is this is for me very like stage, but I mean, real, someone really abrasive, they need to take, they need to bring those people in, like former drivers. Uh, uh, again, like I can think of like left field choices, like Eddie Irvine, for instance, would be amazing in this, or Jacques Villeneuve. I mean, those guys have loud mouth, well, loud mouth in a positive way. I'm not saying that. But what they bring is usually very opinionated, you know, uh, uh, points. And they're usually quite abrasive the way they say it. This would be very, very interesting, I think. Rather than just being a little bit clean and a little bit like they don't want to hurt anyone, I think you need to, to bring this uh, for sure. I would love to see Bernie, Bernie Calstone. That would be amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, there's. I mean, Formula One, especially in the past. Now, I think it's very that that's a that's a fundamental problem with Formula One. Now, it's very corporate, right? I mean, they have so many sponsors, so much money that they can't really say something that's going to be perceived the wrong way. Uh, but uh, again, a couple of years ago, many years ago, you had those personalities who were, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't care what they they, they if they say there would be impacts. Uh, Bernie for sure, but I think it would be too much. <laughs> it would be too left field, but he would ask too much. He would demand too much money, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, um, I like the inclusion of Claire Williams, and 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 I agree with you guys. Like, bring in more drivers, bring in more. Um, like Jacques Villeneuve would be amazing, right? Those loud mouths. Um, bring in the people with the experience. Did, you know, I, I get the Danica thing, you know, she's female, checks a box, American, checks a box, former racer, checks a box. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sign up for a production like that where I'm just asked to, to say cheesy one-liners, mm. right? If I was, if I was Will, I'd be embarrassed. Like you've been doing this for a couple of years, you're well-respected in the paddock and you just have these cheesy one-liners. So I wish that they could bring like depth to the conversation yeah. as opposed to oh it's vegas baby like really yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, right? cliche. i'm not i'm not going to say anyone said cliche but they said cliche i'm not going to name names but you know to score point you have to finish well yeah or <laughs> yeah. Second, you're not first yeah okay <laughs> that that's like wasted 10 seconds right there you have to go beyond the the, the cliche and the, those one liners i totally agree here yeah. yeah. So, so uh, let's talk about things that stood out, storylines that may or may not have stood out to you. Um, so, for me, again, I, if I had to compare NASCAR full speed to Netflix, I would say I prefer NASCAR full speed more because it gave me more of the backstory of the drivers, the um, engineers, the crew members, the wives, the girlfriends. And with that said, like, I still feel like I'm not getting that from drive to survive. Like I, you look at Ferrari. Okay. Anytime uh, Fred was on screen or Charles was on screen or, or Carlos, like it was like, shut up, don't talk. Netflix mics are on. 
like hot mic, don't talk. So for me, I don't like that. It's still not very authentic. Jake, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I kind of see where you're going with that thought. I thought in the first series, when they made light of the fact, oh, watch what you say, Netflix is here. Um, it was funny. It was, you know, ironic. It was the fact that, you know, we're doing this new thing for Netflix now. But they're still doing this in season six. It's like, come on. Everybody now knows that Drive to Survive is in the Formula One paddock. It's not funny anymore that you're making light of the fact, oh, we've got to watch what we say because Netflix is here. It isn't actually that... Uh, it doesn't bring anything to the editing of the episode. I feel that the only thing at the moment that I really don't have uh, anything good to say about with Drive to Survive is in the editing suite. That's my biggest issue. My biggest bugbear is actually in the editing suite. It's little things like, you know, you're throwing these one-liners in about, oh, Netflix is here, watch it. It's like, it's not funny anymore. It's not ironic. It, it's ironic, yes, but it lost its appeal at the end of the first season. The fact that we're still having this dumbing down of commentating on a driver who's down in 19th place at the start of a race. It's like, come on, everybody knows you're focusing on the front at that point. It's been edited in for the after effect to try and tell the story better. I actually feel instead of having, you know, overdubbed commentary over that, bring in Will, you know, bring in Claire, bring in Danica, give them something meaty to say rather than kind of throwing in commentary one-liners that didn't happen on the day. It doesn't really add anything to it. And I'm a connoisseur of motorsport in Hollywood. I collect Hollywood movies that have a motorsport theme. It's my thing. I've been doing it for the last 20 years. And it's the one bugbear that we all still have when it comes to Hollywood movies about motor racing. It's awful timing and synchronization of sound and radio messages at the wrong moments. I mean, mm. we as race fans will notice when a car is decelerating into a corner and the engine note is still accelerating. It's like, come on, you know, you're trying to tell people what motor racing is actually about and you're editing scenes in the race as if it's a GCSE college project. Come on, this is, this is, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be giving the fans something that lets them feel like they're there. I still feel like we're dumbing down for the viewer. The Netflix audience has been at this series for six years now. They are not idiots. And I kind of feel that sometimes in the editing suite, they are treating their fans like idiots. And that really doesn't sell the series well for me. Just, just give them what they want. Give the fans what they're after. They want authenticity. They want reality. Give them a bit more reality. Yeah, mm -hmm. well said. Eric Gilbert, Miami, would you like to add? Uh, not necessarily to what Jake said, because I think he, he, he had very, very good points. So I can't really, uh, can't really argue against this. I mean, the editing, I was about to, to, to say it. Uh, I wouldn't blame like Fed Vesa saying, well, it should have, because, you know, Netflix is here. I would blame the editor. You know, you don't have to put that, that, that line in there. You just mm -hmm. take it out. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they have so much footage at the end of the season they probably have for 10 episodes of what 50 minutes they probably have 10 times more footage you know so they can they can choose for sure but me well if i had something to to add uh would be i find it surprising i get it i mean uh, netflix is kind of like your digital age yearbook about formula one right but still i find that especially this year there's so many topics that age didn't age very well. Like many people they talk with, they're gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or it's changed. Like, uh, where, of course, Lewis to, to Ferrari, 
Uh, I mean, Günther Steiner is out. Mars Zofnauer is out. I mean, there's been so many people there that just a week after they released Netflix, uh, the, the, the show, The Drive to Survive, there's already so many things that have changed. And we're not even going to talk about uh, Christian Horner, which was, you know, any sequence with Christian Horner and his family was kind of very awkward. I mean, it was like, mm. you know, <laughs> Father Christmas asking him, like, has dad been good this year? It's like <laughs> unbelievably cringeworthy. Oh, my it's goodness. One of the most cringeworthy yeah. things I've ever seen. You know, whatever whatever is the situation there, and I don't want to to it's it's too bad because the family is so lovely. I mean, the whole thing was so nice, but I, I think I would have made like a last minute editing for this part because mm -hmm. I think it's I would have maybe not do it. It's only a few minutes. You remove those few minutes of awkwardness, and I think it's. But then, it, it, then again, it's interesting for sure. Yeah, but maybe. I think you, uh, the 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 word is awkwardness, like. Uh, like even when I watch uh, the Lewis Hamilton contract renewal with Toto Wolff <laughs> saying like, oh, he's loyal, he's very transparent with us, he's tell us like everything that goes in his mind in the, in the uh, negotiation process. And then <laughs> Toto was the first one surprised to hear that uh, Lewis going to Ferrari is like, oh, awkward. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. so you guys are all jumping ahead because I wanted to get your 2024 uh, predictions. But essentially, watching uh, season six, it was almost like a precursor of what was to happen. So, for example, watching season six and now knowing that Gunther is out, were any of you guys actually shocked that Gunther left? Like, he's been there 10 years and he kept repeating himself like, you know, this fucking sucks and I'm fucking over it. Like, I'm done, right? And now, fast forward to, it was just essentially, what, four or five weeks ago, he's like, hey, I'm not going to renew my contract, and Hostin renew my contract. So are, are any of you guys shocked that he's actually no longer part of Haas F1? I think by now, I think the, the people, and Gunter is like one of the biggest stars of like Drive to Survive. So by now, the people that were there since season one, I think they know how to act around the Netflix cameras mm -hmm. and, and they, they, they like drop like information that like, you know, they, 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 they know how to use it in their advantage, like either their personal advantage, their fandom or even the team. So they know how to, to act. So I, I think maybe I'm wrong. My, 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 I feel that Gunter was always, not always, but already preparing his way out. And the the net he knew about like how to use the Netflix series to prepare their fan for like I'm gonna exit one like in the coming months like uh, you mm -hmm. already I, I think he already knew at that point when they were uh, filming the the season uh, uh, 2023 that he was going to go out like I think his decision was already pre well not made but maybe in process. And then they use Netflix to like you know prepare his way out. Uh, I think and and I think there's a, a lot of uh, people also now in the series that they know how to act around the, the Netflix people and how to use it to their advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they look good or uh, or sometimes they just they just want to look like the the bad boys, like a little bit like Christian Horner doesn't mind to be like the the villain, uh, you know, like the villain in the. Like you look at wrestling, <laughs> the, 
the villain is often more popular than the the good guys. Uh, so like like I, I feel that Christian Horner like he's he, he know how to use um, uh, drive to survive in his own advantage. Like okay, now with all we know with the the investigation, it's a bit uh, weird to mention to say that, but like when they were recording um, drive to survive to 2023, I think they're uh, in at this in his mind. Okay, and who wants to speak to authenticity? So, for example, I I don't think Zach Brown is authentic at all. I don't think he's genuine. Um, do I think he cares about his uh, drivers? Of of course, Lando Norris. He's known for a while, and first person to probably uh, Lando essentially being able to drive Zach's race car the first race car ever you can see there's a genuine like relationship and a love there and a respect there and a lot of caring there but when i listened to zach brown first of all episode three i fell asleep um only episode i fell asleep because i don't think he's authentic i don't think he's genuine when he when he comes across everything else um what do you guys think about like what do you think about the the authenticity with everything is like is it too staged like too much production uh, Jake, how about I, you? I would say you've got an interesting point. I it was interesting. I was actually going to say that you know episode two and episode three were two polar opposites for me uh, as a viewer. I actually was going to say that episode three was about the most uh, authentic episode of Drive to Survive that there's been in six seasons, uh, just because the what? McLaren turnaround could not have been written better for Netflix if they tried to. I think they just happened to get the most fairy tale of situations. It wasn't just for a minor position. It was for second and third in the Grand Prix. So mm -hmm. Netflix must have loved it. And as a result of that, I think production-wise, episode three, season six, in terms of the production, in terms of the storytelling, in terms of the way they manage the narrative, I think it might actually be the most masterpiece of all of the episodes they've done from a production value side of things. It's interesting because Zach Brown is an interesting character to read in general. He's a very strange member of the paddock. You can tell that he clearly adores being part of Formula One, but you do wonder where the authenticity really lies with him. And it's interesting, it, it surfaced recently that they, he managed to make his money by being a winner, I think it was on Jeopardy or something like that. He was like a winner on Wheel of Fortune or something like that back in the day. That's how he made his fortune to go into motorsport. So clearly he's done it from a fan's perspective and built his way up. And he's living, you know, almost like the Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory lifestyle being in Formula One. <laughs> so how do you represent that? How do you tell that story uh, within Formula One? I've worked with Zach a couple of times and he is a very different character compared to anyone else I would say in Formula One because I almost feel he's like the ultimate super fan. He has literally been thrust into this world of motor racing and he can't quite believe his luck. You know, he not only gets to be in the paddock every week, he gets to run the top British team. You know, it, it, it's kind of bizarre the sort of the way his career's turned. And I wonder if that sort of lack of authenticity you're talking about, Juliana, essentially comes from a guy who has not lucked into it. He's really worked hard to get there, but he's done it from a very different perspective. He hasn't done it from, you know, the sort of the conventional engineers uh, working their way through and doing the hard graft. He's entrepreneured his way in because he's a mad, passionate fan. He's a driver turned uh, manager with United Autosports and 
turned billionaire and therefore found his way to the helm of McLaren. It's a very unusual route. He's the only team principal on the grid who's like that. So, yeah, I think it's easy to see where that lack of authenticity statement could arise from. But it's, yeah, it is fascinating. Uh, the thing I was going to say about uh, episode three being the most authentic, um, episode two, honestly, if I see another filmed clay pigeon shooting scene with a line of Range Rovers to everybody going in, I think I'm going to barf into my helmet bag uh, because it genuinely was just so overt with elitism and cheese and oh look at this amazing lifestyle and we're doing it all for charity and everything and I think it comes back to this whole Christian Horner's clearly loving playing the villain of the piece he loves it he loves that this has propelled him to this superstar lifestyle you know a team principal has never been bigger because of drive to survive they are suddenly a personality you know how many years ago i couldn't have told you half of the team principals on the grid when i was a kid in formula one everyone can tell you pretty much every team principal now because of the superstardom they've been raised to look at what it's done for gunter look at what it's done for toto look at what it's done for fred vasseur these guys are now almost as famous as the f1 drivers are that's never happened in the history of Formula One. So it's clear that these team principals are seeing Netflix and Drive to Survive, not just as a vehicle to launch more fans into the sport, but it's also a platform for them. It's them. It's their chance to show to the world, look, I'm a personality too. I'm a celebrity too. This is my chance. This is my stage. And, and they have absolutely milked it. Yeah, well said. I know Eric Gilbert, or sorry, Eric in Montreal, Eric Topogmendi, uh, we were speaking offline and you had mentioned that you really liked seeing that father son team owner connection in between Lance and Lawrence Stroll. Yeah. So do you want to share what, what we spoke about offline? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, before I jump on the, on the, the Stroll family, let, 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 uh, <laughs> if I may add to Zach Brown, Zach Brown, like we have to remember this guy is the ultimate salesman. Like he, he made his like, his career basically as selling sponsorship in Formula One, like uh, with his agency. So that's an that's a good example of somebody who knows to play and use um, the, the the series to his advantage. So like so so yes, this is, I don't know if it's authentic or not, but definitely like he knows how to um, you know like use it to sell his team, sell him, uh, his stardom, yeah. whatever he's trying to sell, but he's, a, he's the ultimate uh, salesman. And and Christian Horner, like, uh, to, ju to jump on what Jake just mentioned, that it's funny because in Drive to Survive, like in uh, one sequence, a fan asked his wife, Jerry, <laughs> the, the, uh, the famous uh, singer to take a picture of him with a fan. So, so it's, it's Jerry taking the picture with the, the phone of the fan and the, the fan is, doesn't care about Jerry, LOL. She only care about Christian order. That's like, oh, wow. The Christian order is more popular than his wife. Like he's like, like <laughs> global celebrity. Nice girls. <laughs> but what, what I wanted to add about Zach is that Zach, I know, I know him a little bit because he used to be the, the chairman for motorsport.com. So I, but he, he, he's the founder. He put together this company called Just Marketing uh, 25 years ago or something. So for me, huge respect for what he did with it. Sold it to, I think, Chime Communication in the UK for 
I think 75 or 100 million, something like that. I would have to check. Uh, but then I think he was the chairman or CEO of Chime. He was like the, still the big boss. And when he had this opportunity to become the, the head at Mo, of McLaren, he took it, leaving behind him what he founded, basically. So this is how passionate he was about. For him, McLaren is for many people what Ferrari is. For, for him, it's always been like the... the he, he, he the dream. Was, yeah, he, he was. He, I think he got this passion back in the in the probably in the eighties with first Lauda Prost and then Senna Prost. I mean, for him, it dates back to this, and maybe even before. Uh, you would have to ask him. I mean, I don't want to talk on his behalf, but the small discussion I had with him, you could feel he was super passionate about McLaren. I think if if tomorrow. Mercedes would ask him to be the CEO. He, I, I think he would still stay at McLaren. So he was so much so passionate about it. I mean, he left his company behind to 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 go with McLaren. He said, "I have no choice. This is this is the, my life is calling me." So I remember this a few years ago, like eight, eight, seven, eight years, nine years ago, or something. Pretty much the time he was around with Motorsport.com. So that's why I had this. It's not private information. It's it's almost public information what I'm I'm sharing. But um, he was very passionate about it. So I think you can, yeah. He's got this American like, uh, but th this is what you need in this sport. I mean, and uh, anyway, but de definitely in in all the team principle, you can feel that he's the one that's the most excited to be there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> like think so. definitely all the other one like are. Like very focused, and him is like uh, he's so excited to be like a team principal in Formula One. Like you can feel it genuinely. So yeah, uh, Fred Vassar is growing up on me. I kind of like Fred. For oh some yeah, 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 he has so much personality. He's growing growing up on me quite a lot. Uh, I still think Toto is a very interesting guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, for me, Zach. Uh, Fred Vasseur, Toto, I mean, I think those are the guys who have the, the and they're not quite, I mean, Zach is the, the CEO. I mean, he's, he's, he's not necessarily team principal. I think he's more like his title is a little bit higher than just team principal, um, which is already a big title anyway, but. Yeah, anyway. but technically, Zach is, doesn't need to be like uh, on the pit wall or no, at the, the racetrack because he's the CEO, but he's still there because like he, he loves it. Like he, uh, he, yeah, he but... loves everything motorsport. I mean, he races oh, yeah. vintage cars. His side gig with United Autosport. I mean, he's super passionate about racing. So I, I don't think there's any lack of... If there's a lack of authenticity, I would say it's because the way he conveys on camera, maybe. Yeah. But he just, he just, he just used it to the advantage. Uh, I, sound, I sound like a fanboy here because he was involved with us, but I, yeah. I'm a fan of it, so that for sure. I'm not going to hide this. No, but he's a he's a he's a brilliant man, a brilliant businessman. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. But absolutely. to go back to your question, Juliana, like to um, what what the 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 thing that from all the series that I um, uh, that I, I remember the most, like it's the the stroll relationship. Like uh, we always felt that there was like it was like a awkward relationship where your dad is your boss and he's a tough guy he's a tough businessman he's tough with his employee that's his reputation and then you see in this season that he's as a you know like a he's, he's not as hard like he's like he has a soft piece of in the, in him where he's a dad first and 
and he allow himself to to express it like you can feel genuine love for his son and it, you can feel almost that he's doing all this for for his son uh that's that's what i felt like uh, like basically buying a formula one team buying a, a car manufacturer to support the formula one team uh and all this to to support his uh, son from the one career so hey, can you imagine the pressure on lance <laughs> oh my god eh? but, but then i think he has a bigger vision too i mean regardless of lance at first at, at first for sure it was because of lance but now it's it's a much bigger vision right it's aston martin the brand uh you know i, I think it's a little bit more than that now but for sure it it's the, the, the <laughs> Lance played a big role, but can you imagine the pressure on him? Like, oh my God, my dad wants me to. But even even in the, um, one of the episodes of Drive to Survive, like you you hear Lance saying, like, uh, I want to do good for my old man on the the team radio uh, driving. So so for him, like, yes, he, he he does it like for him as a driver. You want to succeed, but I think like a big part of what he's doing, Lance as a driver, is for his dad. Like uh, almost like, okay, I'm doing it for my dad because my dad invested so much in this, and it's he's passionate about it, and it's probably that's that's where they bond together as like a father and son. So they they definitely have an interesting story because, uh, you know, can, do do you, do you how can you become like a real genuine champion winner and champion because you're doing it for your dad? maybe i don't know maybe it could work uh but i'm not sure it's the right way it's the right mindset i've always had like a mixed feeling about lance and 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 because lance for me they're, they're so wealthy it would have been easy for him to just chill his whole life and and uh, you know chill out in ibiza and and just retire right there but no he decided to compete I remember back in the days in Quebec when he was competing in karts, I never heard a bad word against him. Everybody was like, wow, he's, he really wants to push. He's really passionate about this, even though his dad is, owns the track and owns this mm -hmm. and that. But you could feel like there was some genuine passion about racing. Uh, when you get to Formula One, uh, you know, can you really keep winning or can you keep being competitive? this way i don't know it's a good question i'm not saying yes or no I'm, not, I'm just saying it's a good question and i think yeah and drive to survive you see this i, I agree with you Th those are a very interesting moment um but those also touch the um the <laughs> the point that jake was making a bit earlier about uh, uh horner and, and having this luxury lifestyle this is also something they have to be careful because mm -hmm. i when you show when you show off too much your private jet and your your this and that and your your luxury yacht i mean you know i'm not watching lifestyles of the rich and famous i i'm supposed to be watching a sport that they're really they're ready to strangle each other to win and i want abrasive personalities i want personalities that are flawed but they're ready to do anything to win mm -hmm. and i don't think many drivers have this nowadays they're all very clean they're all very polished too polished for my taste to be honest they're all very good mind you i mean formula one is is in such a the difference between the first even though the first one always wins always the same guy but the difference between the first and the last has never been that 
uh, small. I mean, it used to be like 15 seconds. Now it's like 1.5 seconds or 2.5. So they're all very, very competitive. But it's way too polished, you know, uh, to my taste. Or a little bit yeah. too polished. I'm not going to dramatize this, but it's a little bit too, you know, again, lifestyles of the rich and famous type of thing. And you saw this in the episode with Lawrence. But with Lawrence, what do you want? I mean, he's the real <laughs> rich and famous. Exactly. This is his average lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Can, you, really, you, you, you know, you, you cannot really uh, say anything against the guy. I mean, he's such a success that, you know, and he's from Montreal. So, you know, I'm not going to start, you yeah. know, uh, uh, putting down someone with so much success. But the relation with the son is indeed very, very interesting. I don't know how long it's going to, you know, Lance is going to stay and, and he's going to want to keep pushing. Because in Formula One, it's all about, you, you need to keep pushing all the time. So yeah. interesting point for sure. We we can't all be Fernando Alonso in there for over 20 years, right? And still <laughs> says like he, he 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 came out recently and he was like, oh, I have the stamina. Keep, keep going until I'm like 52, <laughs> which is interesting. But he's, a, he, he's the yeah. interesting. I think he's the most interesting driver. Like at this, I, I just saw a little bit of him at the, uh, the Aston Martin launch or this special event they were doing in, I think in, in Antibes in France, like everything was so down to the second time. And Alonso was at, at the back, like, woo, 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 like making sounds and stuff. I thought it was so funny because he's, a, he's, that, he's that guy who's different, you know, he's that, you know, different person. And at his age, I think he can allow himself to do this. You're twice world champion. You're, how, how old is he? 40 years old. He's been in the 40, sport. Yeah. 42. He's, I thought he was going to be like 42 this year. 42. 43. Yeah. So, yeah. so, he's, he so allow himself to do this. To, to you know, it's the, funny. The he says he says that the you know he could go into his early 50s. The thing about Fernando mm -hmm. Alonso is he just might. You know, if there's anybody yeah. out there who's going to go the distance, he just might. It's funny. I saw a yeah. meme of him earlier. Uh, in the last couple of days, where he seems to be aging backwards, and they're not wrong. You know, I swear. When it comes to people like Fernando, you know, there's a painting in his attic that keeps changing and somebody mm. needs to figure out who painted the original because he's got amazing amounts of longevity. And the thing is, Drive to Survive is probably another reason for him to find the motivation to keep going. You know, from his point of view, he was probably thinking, well, Formula One, there isn't really much to get excited about it anymore. I'm pretty much done. I probably could give this another go, but there's not really much of a point. Then all of a sudden, Formula One becomes in vogue again because of Drive to Survive. Fernando Alonso, being the shrewd operator that he is, thinks, hang on a minute, there's an opportunity here. I can make another fortune. I can do this all over again. I can start pretty much from scratch. And it wouldn't surprise me if there would be a couple of other drivers that have felt the same way. Kevin Magnussen, uh, Nico Hulkenberg, you know, there's a fair few drivers on that grid who are on borrowed time, but the opportunity for them to be in the position they're in uh, because of what Drive to Survive could do and has done for their careers is massive. Look at Daniel Ricciardo. Any other driver in their situation, in Daniel Ricciardo's situation, would essentially, having, you know, walked away from his best ever opportunity to be world champion, spent four years away grinding at his own furrow and not really getting anything other than disappointment would never have had another opportunity 
But because it's Daniel Ricciardo, because of the value he brings to the sport and he gets himself personally from Drive to Survive, it becomes this circle of opportunity that keeps on investing itself. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because people want to see Daniel. Red Bull think, well, we've got a chance to put him in. We can use him as a backup plan if something does go wrong. And lo and behold, with Nick DeFries, it went wrong. And now we've got him back full time because A, he's a precious commodity and B, he still has what it takes. Now, the interesting thing in 2024 is how Drive to Survive Series 7 is then going to look at the narrative of Visa Cash App RB, which is, without a doubt, no longer a Red Bull Junior team. It is now a team in its own entity. There is no way you can look at that partnership of Yuki Tsunoda, who is now in year four, I think it's his fourth year now in the Red Bull fold, and Danny Ricciardo, who's been there since 2011 in Red Bull's awning. You know, this is no longer a junior team. The very purpose of Toro Rosso slash AlphaTauri slash Visa Cash at Red Bull. The very purpose of that team when it was set up in 2006 is no longer the purpose of the team. So how is Drive to Survive going to tell that story next year it's funny a lot of uh, what drive to survive season six has given me is a thirst for what they're going to do with season seven mm. okay so jake just to follow up on that do you think visa cash app red bull racing essentially made the right decision to go with danny rick over liam lawson or over yuki sonoda it's madness. I mean, having been uh, commentating on Liam in Super Formula for the entirety of last year and then seeing what impact he made in Formula One in the second half of the year and then seeing how his emotions were played out through Drive to Survive, I still can't get my head around it. I still don't understand how arguably the best rookie on the grid other than Oscar Piastri has been essentially not given a chance to put himself in a decent position. I cannot understand. Uh, and we've seen it in the past with these drivers. If you do not give these guys the chance, they will go elsewhere. Someone else will give them the chance. Someone else will look at it. And if you look at the friction that's currently going on at Alpine, there's an opportunity potentially there that could arise. If you look at the lack of fluidity between Logan Sargent and Williams, there's an opportunity there. Even with Aston Martin, you could see that maybe, you know, if there's not actually going to be a winning package in 2024, how long does Fernando give it? You know, it, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of opportunities there. And what I liked about Drive to Survive, how they portrayed it, they were kind of Liam Lawson's cheerleading team. They were there for him, kind of saying, look, this guy should not be left out in the cold. They were almost screaming it from the rooftops when they portrayed yeah. it. It's like, you know, you guys have made a mistake. Liam Lawson is on the sidelines and you've wasted this chance. And that's one of the things I do find really courageous about Drive to Survive. When they decide that they're going to take a driver's side, when they're going to portray a certain story, they go for it and they do not shy away from that narrative. And that's really brave and courageous storytelling right in the heart of the paddock. They've decided to go with a particular story because they feel it's the story that should be told. And whether you agree with it or not is not the issue. It's the way that they just have pure conviction and determination to tell that story. And it's very emotive. 
the way that they do it. Perhaps it's not very masterful because they're still trying to figure out how they tell that story with a Netflix audience rather than an F1 hardcore audience. But I think they should be given full kudos for deciding, you know, this is what we believe is right. This is what we feel is an injustice and we're going to tell it the way we feel it should be told. I was I was really behind the way they decided to, you know, hold up Liam Lawson as a bit of a hero. Yeah, yeah so, so, so sorry, I'll just add to that. Liam, I thought, uh, was quite ballsy to come out and say, like, how did I just beat this guy, right? And he's chosen over me and I wasn't chosen. And from my perspective, it comes down to money, right? Danny Rick, he can bring in sponsors and he's marketable. Yuki, Japanese driver, we race in Japan. Yeah. You know, Honda's still there for now. So yeah. for me, it was just simply a business perspective. But uh, Eric Gilbert, I'll let you finish. And then from a business perspective, maybe Eric, you know, you're the marketing partnership director guy. So maybe you could have uh, another opinion on that as well, too. So Eric Gilbert, what were you going to say? No, I, I agree. I agree 100% on what Jake said. I, I like the fact that Drive to Survive kept this in the narrative. One thing I didn't like, I'm sure Jake's going to agree on this, uh, is when Liam Lawson went to... to uh, to replace Daniel Ricciardo and perform so well, I was not surprised at all. Because Jake and I, we both watched Super Formula. Well, Jake comment on Super Formula, and I watch him commentating on Super Formula. It's a series that's super, very dear to me. Uh, and he's been so, this is the most, one of the most, it's way more competitive than Formula One. So the fact mm -hmm. that he went there to Formula One and was competitive right off the bat, people were like, where's he coming from? Well, guess what? It's coming from Super Formula. By the way, they yeah. never mentioned this in Drive to Survive. Like Formula One, that, that's one thing I've, you know, that always ticked me off with Formula One. And Drive to Survive has the same, the same problem. They live in a vacuum. They think racing starts with F1 and ends with F1. No mention of his Super Formula, you know, performance the week before. Actually, the week before, I think that's the wheelie. That's the, the, mm -hmm. the race he crashed with this super crazy uh, but there's no mention of it at all well guess what he was coming from mm -hmm. the most competitive open wheel series i think in the world maybe with indycar i mean it is super competitive there and all those japanese drivers they know the japanese track like every millimeter they know where to position the car they know everything so if you're competitive in that series you're going to be competitive pretty much everywhere and liam was super competitive and super formula mega competitive so when he went to Formula One and right off the bat, he was competitive. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. And, and yes, you're right. Me, I, I would have. I think, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave this to, to maybe Eric. But my theory here is that now we're shifting a little bit away from Dice to Survive. But my theory is that Red Bulls, maybe they're keeping him for the big team rather than uh, than. Uh, Toro Rosso or Cash App or whatever they want to call this team now. <laughs> I think they're keeping him for the, the the big team in case in case there's a problem with the, the, with Checo maybe I don't know but they're definitely keeping him keeping him because like you said in 25 there's going to be a lot of opportunity. I heard Mercedes is going to have also one seat open and they want to try something very different. That Toto said I think we're going to may try to do something very different. So we. Me, I would take this guy and okay, you know, let's let's uh, let's start with him. But young, I think he's there's probably someone something with his management or with him in, himself, Liam, that he see a bigger opportunity 
with the big Red Bull team or some big team as well outside? Yeah, for me, it all comes down to money, right? So Eric de Pocamendi in Montreal, I'll swing it over your way. Um, Formula One is a is a money sport. So I don't see the... Do I see Liam Lawson in Formula One? Sure. But I think he should uh, have to, you know, work hard in like a Williams team before he's handed that role and say a Red Bull senior team. Um, I think Christian Horner really wants Denny Rick back at least for one more year. And, and, and honestly, I don't think Checo is going to be there in 2025, but I'll leave that for our last conversation in relation to prediction. So let's get back to that, that business topic. Eric, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I think, yeah, totally. There's a, a lot of money involved in the, in the formula one, but in, in sport in general. So, so we have to see like the drive to survive while well, you, First of all, it's a huge marketing tool for F1 to create the fan. Like when I when I mentioned like uh, earlier that um, for me it was uh, redundant, is because I follow Formula One like on a daily basis. So everything that I've seen in Drive to Survive, I already read about it or seen it, and in my newsletter or whatever I subscribe to, um, and so so I already read about it. So I already knew about all those facts. It was just a different angle with maybe a little bit more drama, but it was I already knew about it. But the, for the non Formula One fan, for them that's the season. Like that's what happened last season, and it's almost like a TV show. Like basically you watch, like you binge watch like the the, the previous show and to watch the, what's coming up like in 2024. Uh, and I feel that now oh, it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, basically how they were, the Formula One team were making their money with sponsorship. It's with TV exposure. That's how the value of the uh, sponsorship was, uh, you know, like uh, uh, getting alive. It was through uh, the TV and a little bit to the uh, uh, in-person uh, at the racetrack. But most of it was from the TV and now drive to survive. It's another like almost like broadcast TV in a different way, maybe more even like even broader than just like sports fan. It's like to the, the mass that you you're basically pointing a camera at my sponsor at my team at, at my driver. Like we were talking about the bringing back like Danny Rick, like why bring back like Danny Rick instead of like a, a new Top Gun? Because Danny Rick is a is a character like like a, a like in a TV series that we that we bring back to you know raise the popularity of the TV series, uh, raise the popularity of the team, point point the camera at us like the the sponsor. Uh, it's a gold old trick of Bernie Ecclestone. Like back in the days, the reason why every Formula One was competing against each other to have, who have the biggest celebrity in their paddock is to basically point the camera at them so they so you always see the the you know the george clooney or the brad pitt with the michael the uh, uh, whatever like the celebrity that was coming in the paddock they were already like uh, in the garage we could clearly see the car you could see the sponsor so so that's how the sponsor gained their values by the exposure the amount of minute that they get the exposure either on the web, either on the broadcast, and now on the drive to survive. So so basically, it's a huge marketing tool. And then box to box, they do an amazing job because it's 
it's packaged mm. in such a different way that you 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 have your core fan uh, Formula One fan, and then you have the people surrounding those fans. So now with the drive to survive, like you reach at all those people uh, around the Formula One fan. So so all the people that were you know heard about Formula One or the like the their the wife or the husband of a Formula One fan, they did, but they not not really into it. Now they're into it because of of uh, Drive to Survive. So it's mm -hmm. uh, for for me like I, I see Drive to Survive like yes, it's entertainment, but uh, it was brilliant. Like it's Sean Bratch uh, back in the days that uh, had the idea of creating that, and it it, it basically was a brilliant huge marketing tool and in it it doesn't just raise the value of formula one but you raise the value of everybody you know when the tide rise like all the boats uh rise uh, and it's the same thing like uh, like not not so far like before drive to survive like maybe two three uh team every year they were like on the verge of uh, bankruptcy these days like uh there's no nobody no team it's uh, uh, close to be bankrupt. Uh, it's, it's it's quite the opposite. Now the the value of everybody, all the teams, all the their driver, the sponsor, everything has raised. Um, there's there's money flowing in from Lawan since uh, Drive to Survive. So well, actually, uh, before Drive to Survive, because now they work in this franchise model, and we see it with the Andretti case that they're not letting anybody in. So of course. Mm -hmm. Whoever is in is pretty sure they're going to be in next year. And I think to your point also, it's interesting to discuss your point about drivers, like people, uh, uh, like fans being, the, let's call them the drive to survive, typical fans being used to certain characters. I think an interesting discussion, a discussion an interesting point to make is that the, could this lead to... Formula One becoming very stale with like we see it this year. It's the same lineup than 2023. Like nobody, it's like fans. I'm not sure. I wouldn't blame the fans, but it's like they, they're afraid to change someone because it may hurt fans or it may hurt some some. Uh, and now it's becoming very, very stale. Like I said, it's the same drivers two years back to back. I've never seen this. The same lineup, exactly the same lineup. Uh, I think it's an interesting point to, the, to, to, to discuss at some point. Is it because of drive to survive or, or is it just the way it is now? But I find Formula One, like the, the, what used to be called a silly season, like now this year, it's a little bit more interesting with Lewis switching to Ferrari. Now it's shuffling the deck quite a lot. Mm. But in the past two or four years, it's been super, super boring. I mean, there's no change. There's no new team. There's like everything is formatted the same thing year after year. And I'm not, I don't know, is it because of Drive to Survive? They're used to certain characters. It's like a soap opera. They're used to the same mm -hmm. thing year after year. Mm -hmm. And when a new guy come in, they're like, oh, we're not sure. You know, we don't want new, a new one. We like our old, old and proven characters. It's an interesting thing to discuss. Like, I, I'm, I'm not like sure if it's a thing, but, you know. Gun yeah. Gunther was a great example. Like you know, he was yeah. the 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 guy that was like uh, swearing every two words, and the, and people loved him. Like they embrace him, uh, and, and it's not because he looked like Brad Pitt or anybody else. Like it's like he's now like super fan. Like you uh, uh, you you see people like uh, lining up as a uh, book uh, signature uh, <laughs> uh, 
and it's like young girl like all excited to take a picture with him it's like what really it's like it's in and, and this is all because of uh, dark to survive because they see him as a character they almost see him like a george clooney in the uh, in a movie or as a tv series like a yeah, well said. So, gentlemen, let's switch to 2024 predictions before I let you all go. Uh, for me, yeah, I think I was I was shocked, like everybody else. Hamilton will be making the switch to Ferrari. I think with the announcement being made so early, it's uh, it's going to be awkward. It's also going to be awkward for Saints as well. Uh, at the same time, would you buy any of the merchandise? And that's huge, huge business, right? Because you already have two drivers moving on. Um, I think sincerely Lando Norris is kicking his own ass for signing too early with McLaren without knowing about Hamilton. <laughs> um, so maybe Mercedes will buy out his contract. Who knows? A lot's going to change for, for 2025. So one by one, we'll start with you, uh, Jake. What are your predictions for 2024? So my predictions for 2024 are that uh, Max will win the championship again, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near as dominant as he was last year. I think he'll still win 15 races or so of the 24, but I do think there'll be a few more races where other teams will get a look in. Uh, Mercedes will pick up one or two. I think Ferrari will pick up a couple. I think McLaren. The way that they've been on the upward trajectory, I think they could even bag one or two. So I think there will be more opportunities for teams to get a look in. Red Bull will be still very strong. I think Perez may lose his seat mid-season. It's going to be very interesting to see how he deals with the pressure at the end of last year to then come into this year. It would not shock me at all if Danny Rick gets the call up mid-year to replace Sergio. And then uh, Liam gets his chance alongside Yuki at uh, Visa Cash App RB. I'd be very interested to see who replaces Lewis. There's a lot of interesting candidates. And I think this year is going to be incredibly uh, important uh, as to who is going to get that. I think for me, it's between three drivers and they will all be very, very much a focal part of our season. Uh, I think it's going to be between Esteban Ocon, uh, Carlos Sainz and Andrea Antonelli in Formula 2. Although there is one man that I didn't mention who if I was Toto Wolf and if I was trying to shake up the establishment big time, uh, I would be trying to employ Checo for a couple of seasons. I would want to take him out of the happy family of Red Bull. I mean, who's got more of the secrets of Max Verstappen, Christian Horner and the Red Bull espionage than the man who is being subjugated by it? If I was Toto and I wanted to be cunning while I was waiting for Andrea Kimi Antonelli to be ready, if he's not ready, I think he will be, but if he isn't ready, I would be going after Checo. What's interesting about this is that I, I, the, the Lewis announcement doesn't surprise me that much. Uh, the timing of it absolutely does. But I think the timing of it is purely because I think Liberty Media knew that there was something brewing at Ferrari. I think they knew the deal was happening. Uh, and the fact that two days before that, the Andretti rejection came in and the absolute lambasting they got from the fans, from the journalists, from everybody saying, come on, you guys have made this a closed shop. You're basically suggesting that if a name like Andretti is not going to add value to Formula One and they're only going to take the value from F1 for themselves, you're basically saying that nobody 
is welcome in Formula One and they got such criticism for it. I think they had to bring them something that was an even bigger story so that people would forget about the rejection. And I think that's why this whole Ferrari thing has been accelerated. I've got a feeling it was only meant to come out in August that he was going to go. And that's why Ferrari did not make such a big song and dance about the announcement. Look at the way Ferrari does things. It's always big. It's always lush. It's always vibrant. It's always passionate. It's always Italian. And they've done nothing really about this because they had no time to prepare it. That does not seem like Ferrari to me. I feel that this announcement was always going to come. It's just come six months too early because Liberty Media knew that they had to save face somehow. So it's fascinating how the, political power of formula one has also become a double-edged sword you know they've had to try and find ways to manipulate stories and speed them up in order to detract from the real problems that are going on but yeah i think it'll be a max season i don't think it'll be quite as dominant i think lando will get his first win i think oscar could get his first win as well he's been looking mighty fast so i think mclaren will be a much bigger player even than they were last year we still don't really know how mercedes are in terms of their speed I think they're hiding something. I think there's something big coming. And I don't think we're really going to see it until Japan, about race four, race five in. I think Mercedes have something else that they're not showing us. And once that really surfaces in the first four or five races, then we've got a fight. And I can't wait for that fight. Interesting. So Eric Gilbert, Miami, would you like to offer your predictions for 2024? Well, be easy to say, Max. By the way, where was Max and Drive to Survive season six? We we didn't barely saw him. He doesn't want to be involved in the show, does he? I, he doesn't, doesn't want, want to, to be involved. Max for me is an interesting character because mm. he's a he's like Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of his, but I'm kind of a fan because his success is so big. The guy is a beast, and you can tell this guy loves racing, not just Formula One. You know, he's at, now he has his GT3 teams trying this, trying that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him race like at the 24 hours of Nürburgring or some crazy stuff like this. Like other drivers with these, I think he and Fernando are probably the two guys who generally love racing the most in like every form of racing in Formula One. Fernando is proven by going to Le Mans, doing Indy. Um, you know, and that's for me, as much as I really, really respect Lewis, that's the one little thing that I wish he had more like a uh, 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 desire to do other forms of racing a little bit more than. Uh, but Max is such a beast that, again, you can't you can't really go against. You, you have to be a fan somehow. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not super crazy about his personality, but. You know, it is what it is. You know, he's been raised by his father. I mean, he's been in racing since he's that tall. I mean, he's always been, <laughs> you know, he's always been in, 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 the, in the business. But this year I see him, I, I definitely see him again. Hopefully not as much as in a dominant form than last year. Not because he doesn't deserve it, but because it's boring. It, it gets really, really boring. Uh, you know, he, he needs more competition. I, I think even himself probably finds it boring, to be honest. I think even himself is probably, well, you know, this is what it is. But I, I, I do wish Mercedes will have something, like Jake mentioned. I think Ferrari has to have something also because they're going to have to work hard now with the guy who's coming in 25. <laughs> they're going to have to raise their, 
in every department, every aspect of their game, they're going to have to raise the bar quite a lot. Race strategy, for sure. I mean, race strategy at Ferrari has almost become uh, memes, <laughs> internet memes about the race strategy. But the car is going to have to be a bit... I think when the car is a bit more that is 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 fast, and here I'm talking in broad sense, of course. I, I was talking about people against people saying cliche, uh, uh, you know, an hour ago maybe, but I'm going to say cliche. When your car is fast, it makes everything easy for everyone. You know, you don't have to worry that much about race strategy. And the reason Ferrari was has been screwing up their strategy quite, you know, so often is because their car was just not quick enough compared to Red Bull. So you make mistake. You end up making mistake. Red Bull has been, especially with Max, they're so comfortable that they could screw up their strategy and still win. And I think it has happened, actually, that they totally screwed up and yet oh, we're, they, they won. So Ferrari is going to have to raise the bar. with, And I think, again, with Fred Vassar, I think they have a good shot at it. Fred Vassar, many people I saw, like on Drive to Survive, or many people commenting were underestimating him. But the guy has been yeah. in the business and creating winners for 20 years with Art Grand Prix, mm -hmm. with uh, Alfa Romeo. I mean, he's... He's not a rookie for sure. I mean, I, I have great hopes in him, I think, at Ferrari. And they have to be ready for 25 for sure. Because, yeah. The, the, yeah. So, but yeah, for well them, I think Max is going to be difficult to, to beat Max again uh, this year. But I do hope for new winners, you know, new guys to win for sure. That's my biggest hope for Formula One. So, yeah. yeah. Well said. Eric uh, in Montreal, we'll, we'll finish off with you before uh, I wrap it up. Yeah, well, I, think, uh, I agree with everybody that uh, Max and Red Bull is still going to be dominating. Uh, I even predict that Max, like uh, Eric mentioned, is, is going to get bored. At one point, I wouldn't be surprised that Max, uh, I'm over from Loan, it's boring, like uh, there's no challenge anymore. Uh, I'm, doing, um, I'm going to do something else. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Mm. Uh, probably, maybe not this year, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I think uh, Fernando is not uh, over surprising us. I think he has, he has some trick in his hat. Uh, I think he's going to still be surprised by Fernando. Last year, he had a strong start, like uh, with a, a few podium aligned. Uh, so uh, I think Aston Martin could be surprising. Uh, Ferrari, I think they, they just like with with Vassar and uh, and Lewis, like uh, you know the seven time world champion coming on board, they they're gonna have like a new energy uh, into like Ferrari, and those are you know Italian, they're very passionate, so <laughs> this is gonna fuel that passion. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think I think this year so Ferrari will be a very uh, uh, could be very surprising. Uh, I think they, they, they might do good. The last year, you could see that they were improving. So, like, uh, I think they're just going to uh, follow that. Uh, I would be curious to see what's going on with Mercedes. They're still, still struggling, in my opinion. Uh, but, like, we'll see. Uh, and, and I predict that they're going to sell more Ferrari in the United States starting this year and next year because of, uh, of Lois. Uh, because Lois embraced uh, the United States, uh, he loves it, and uh, I think I think the the Ferrari move has something also to do with the car sales, and I wouldn't be surprised with that. Um, yeah. Well, so, uh, so, so 
So that's my my take for the 2024 season. I think we're we'll still going to be. And uh, I agree with Jake uh, McLaren uh, getting stronger and stronger. Uh, uh, so they they also could be uh, uh, yeah, good contenders like uh, in the in the top three of uh, from low one. Yeah, so I'll conclude with saying the only person I care about is Fernando Alonso. I want to see him win a race. And I think everybody in motorsport throughout, it doesn't matter yeah. if it's NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, Super Formula, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants to see Alonso win because he's so amazing and because he's just like a Max. He, Or I should say Max is just like a Fernando. They're there purely for racing and not necessarily the celebrity side of all of it. But gentlemen, thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun and I look forward to seeing you all trackside. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for taking the time to listen to this special episode of Cars Without Sausage hosted by me, Juliana, your automotive woman. If you enjoy automotive and motorsport content unfiltered, consider subscribing on my YouTube channel or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Cars Without Sausage. No egos, no dickheads. Just a passion for cars. <laughs>